gonna have to go from last time and say spooky children. Spooky children. Like really pale, spooky children that are really still and just kind of stare at you. What about you? What's scary to you? Oh, I had a, a actual real spooky thing happen to me this spooktober. What? Because I had extensive dental work. <laughs> that is spooky. Oh my god, I've never had to do too much dental stuff. Mm-hmm. It's the worst. I hated it so much. It's it's scary. I hate it. I get why it's in horror movies. Have you ever seen Marathon Man? No, but oh, I've definitely spooky. seen dentistry used as like a horror device. It is. It's yeah. one of the scariest things that everyone just has to do. Mm-hmm. And I think about like what did they do in the 1800s? Pulled out teeth. You just not have teeth. Yeah, they just like strapped you down and pulled out your teeth. Wow. If they hurt, they just liquor you up. Yeah. And yank it out. Yeah. If Maybe it hurts, knock you out with a brick and a sock. If it turns black, yeah, yeah. they just like pull them down. Because I had a state of the art medical supplies being used on me. Yeah. And it was still the worst. I yeah, you got it. some cool stuff that I haven't had before. Like needles. Well, I've had needles, but I mean, like... And drills. The uh, uh, anesthetic thing that they used on you is pretty cool. Yeah, they knocked me out with a wine bottle. <laughs> Just like the 1800s. Yeah. First, you drink all the wine, and that gets you halfway there, then they knock you out with a bottle of the rest of it. Oh, and you don't wake up as quickly because you're drunk. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Spooky. I love this, you should too. My name is Indy Root Canal Randawa, and with me is the lovely Samantha Spooky Pale Kids Hees. <laughs> spooky Pale Kids. Do they have to be pale? Is that spookier? Yes. Like a nice bronzed kid, isn't it scary? No, they look like they've been on like a happy family vacation. <laughs> it's less scary then. Although some people's spooky thing, family vacations. There you go. Yeah. So maybe that's who would be scared of a bronzed child. (laughs) (laughs) Well, welcome everyone as we continue Spooktober, where we'll be talking about all spooky things. Just like that. It's the obligatory. (laughs) Ghost noise? One every episode, yeah. And I Love This You Should Too is part of the Alberta Podcast Network, which is locally grown and community supported. And like I said, this week we're doing more Spooktober. All October, we're only going to be talking about spooky things because is it our favorite time of year? We're both very Christmassy people. We are very Christmassy people, but I think think Halloween and Christmas are just like our... It's our jam. It's our jam. And I think it's like a solid three months of like holiday time for us. Yeah. Because we start October 1st and then November 1st, it's Christmas. I, I don't agree with that. I go December 1st, I get into Christmas. What do you then. celebrate in November then? Remembrance Day? American <laughs> Thanksgiving? I don't know. Oh, yeah. The genocide? Yeah. <laughs> Celebrating genocide. Yikes. Let's go back to Halloween because it's much less scary. I agree. I think we should take a moment and talk about some of our fellow Alberta Podcast Network podcasts who are also doing spooky Halloween episodes. Um, The first one is Makeshift Stories, which is an original science fiction podcast, and they are putting out a spooky episode called Digital Apparition, which is your cell phone might be haunted, and it will be out on October 18th. 
Uh, the other one is called It's a Conspiracy. It's a podcast where the hosts look at conspiracy theories, alternate accounts, legends, myths, and more. They will be putting out a Halloween-themed episode that will be released on October 14th, and they discuss Halloween in Lebanon, Bloody Mary, and that time Greg's mom stole his candy. Oh, Greg's mom. <laughs> so check that out October 14th. And, of course, uh, we look forward to listening to those episodes, too. Yeah, I want to hear all about Greg's mom. Well, that segues nicely into our first sponsor of the episode, which is Pod Power. And with Pod Power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcaster. And this episode, the Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a Pod Power shout out to. I'm going to go with one of my favorites. <laughs> And that is my good friends at Overdue Finds oh, yeah. from the Edmonton Public Library. And in this podcast, hosts Bryce Crittenden and Caroline Land host conversations about books, movies, music, pop culture, and other interesting news about Edmonton. And it's a great way to learn more about what's happening at EPL, the Edmonton Public Library, and about how you can use your library card to access all of EPL's in-person and online services, Ooh. which right now could be me teaching you 3D printing over the computer. Or baby sign language. Or I can teach you baby sign language. That's mostly for the babies, but you know, whoever. I, I enjoyed learning baby sign language. Well, then you can come to one of my classes too. Indy is multi-talented. <laughs> and... I, of course, have to then shout out a specific episode of the EPL Overdue Finds podcast, because uh, both because I'm on it <laughs> and because it was a horror-themed Halloween one. Oh, so more that spooky. is episode 42, entitled, Oh, the Horror, where <laughs> I get to talk about a few things I love, which, is, of course, is Halloween, Night of the Living Dead, there's some Shining in there. Mm. So you can check out that podcast or any of their other episodes, and you can find that wherever you're listening to us. You could find Overdue Finds, or you can go to the EPL website, which is epl.ca, and if you add a slash podcast, you can go right to the Overdue Finds site. Awesome. And you can find all of these podcasts wherever you're listening to our podcast. Well, let's get into our spooky stuff. And this week, we are each going to give you a spoiler-free review of something we're into that is spooky. And then Samantha will tell us what we are going to watch for next week's big episode. But before that, Samantha, what's your thing of the week? Um, So my thing of the week is a podcast. Uh, it is called The Labyrinth. It is a Spotify exclusive, um, and it is made by the makers of Case File. So if you're familiar with Case File, uh, they do a lot of true crime, and this podcast is a documentary series narrating the case of a mysterious disappearance from the National Forest in Arizona. Oh, there's so many National Park and National Forest disappearances. I know. I, I've been getting pretty into it, and then this one came out, and I had to listen to it. So it's really interesting. My favorite ones are the ones where someone disappears and then reappears weeks later, hundreds <laughs> of miles away, and yeah. they don't know how they got no, there. No, and they have no memory of where they've been. But tell me more about this one. So this case surrounds Janet Castrillon, who disappeared in 2015 when she was camping with her family in a remote location near the uh, Chirichua Mountains. 
in Arizona, where she seemingly vanished into thin air without anybody noticing. Um, One of the really interesting things that you find out in the second episode is that she suffered a pretty traumatic brain injury. So she wouldn't have been wandering off or driving away or going off with anybody because she was pretty dependent on her parents. It turns out other similar disappearances occurred nearby around the same time, prompting questions as to whether there may have been a connection between them. Labyrinth also explores the general topic of people going missing from national parks, and in this podcast you hear interviews with members of law enforcement agencies, family of the missing, as well as insights from some renowned crime analysts. That's really interesting because this whole idea is... It's just so big mm-hmm. because there's so many disappearances. Yeah. And I'm sure you probably know better than I do, like the numbers on it, but it is a shockingly high number. But it's interesting to get into one specific case like this. Yeah. So are there multiple episodes in this all about the one case? Yes, there are 10 episodes out right now. Um, I kind of listened to all of them really, really quickly. So I'm not 100% sure if there's more because I haven't been back to check yet. But um, it was kind of one of those podcasts where you just keep loading up episodes because you just want to really hear what's going on. You get really swept in. Feel free not to answer if this spoils it, but do we get an answer or does it spoil it to answer that question? I don't want to answer. Okay. I I don't want to answer because I want you to go on the ride that I went on. Sure. Um, because you start to hear really interesting tidbits and it really sways you one way. And then you hear more information. It sways you another way. And then you're like really mixed up by the time you're closer to the end of the podcast. So it's pretty cool. Interesting. So this this one of those that the format is there's a host or two with lots of interviews? Yes. So there's a host. She did a bunch of the investigation work herself. She does a whole bunch of interviews herself. Um, and then she also has people who just like come on and speak as well that aren't really in interview format. Interesting. Yeah. So if you're really into National Park disappearances, this is a definitely a good show because it's a little bit more of a deep dive. Okay. You don't have to give away too much, but is there mention of aliens in this? No. Okay. I wish. I was kind of hoping it would be I an wish. alien. I would have told you about this one sooner if there had been aliens mentioned in it. Because I, I bring you all my alien-related content. I'm getting really into aliens right now because... So everyone has different coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. And uh, the news is very hard to read. Yes. It doesn't stop me from doing it. No. But I need some sort of palate cleanser afterwards and my go-tos are cat videos dog videos and alien stories Mm -hmm. because aliens believe it or not and i don't even know which side i fall on it's harder i guess everything can be political Mm -hmm. but i can read a story about aliens and it's not also tagged on like oh yeah and let's kill the jews yeah because so much of everything gets into um either racism or misogyny is built into everything i read anywhere it seems so true and if aliens like i think if aliens were to come i don't think that they'd discriminate by race (laughs) so this is uh, a really sad thought but let's put it out there anyway uh over a year ago on this podcast you know every now and then we get something really right Mm -hmm. every now and then we get something really wrong (laughs) and it is on the record yeah at the beginning of the pandemic i said 
the one good thing we can take away from this. It's it's terrible. People are dying. But this is something that isn't political oh. or race-based. It's something we can all get together. And sometimes you need a unified enemy for everyone to join forces. Like aliens. And there's nothing like... You can't possibly politicize a virus. It is apolitical. It is a virus we can all join together and be on the same yeah. side and eradicate. And it'll be like the first time the world has come together. That's what I said. Yeah. Oh, fuck. I'm so wrong. Oh, my God. So if you're one of our listeners who lives in Alberta, you'll know this even more. But this is probably one of the most political things to happen to the world. <laughs> And in, in, in a lot memory. of other places as well. Yeah. And frankly, we are pretty uh, privileged in how we can deal with it. It mm-hmm. is a political thing and people are... We should stop also using the word anti-vaxxer. Don't say anti-vaxxer. No. Say pro-virus, pro-virus. Or pro-pandemic. Yeah. There are a lot of pro-viral people here for some reason. Yeah. But we have the infrastructure where we can still live a lot of our normal lives. Mm-hmm. It's not to the point where in a lot of countries where people are just dying in the streets constantly. Exactly. So we have a lot of privilege, but we are not using that privilege. But um, back to what I was saying yeah. is, if aliens were to come, I would say, well, this is one thing. All people will be on the same side. We're all one mm-hmm. to the aliens. But now I know that's not the case because some people will be like, aliens? It must be the fault of those Chinese. Let's go bomb China now. Mm. Right? Yeah. Like, that's how it'll go. It would be the most ridiculous thing if aliens made contact. It wouldn't just be like, hey, looks like we're all on the same side because aliens are so far away mm-hmm. from all of us. Yeah. But that's not the case because we are the worst. Remember at the beginning of the pandemic? I do. We were such babies then. Yeah. I was scared in a much more innocent way. Yeah. Now I'm uh, scared and disillusioned in a worse way, I guess. Because yeah. now I know that people will just let other people die. Yeah. And they don't care. Just like step right over them in order to get what they need. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's weird being jaded and scared. You know what it is? It's spooky. Spooky. See, what's spookier than lack of faith in your common man? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we laugh to stop the tears. Oh. If but I don't laugh, I'll just start screaming and never back stop. Back to this podcast. Sounds super interesting. And it is called Labyrinth? It's called The Labyrinth? The Labyrinth. So it doesn't have any David Bowie-based Goblin Kings. No. Uh, so it's The Labyrinth by Casefile, and it's only available on Spotify. I don't like how podcasts are going to like what network TV was, mm-hmm. how it's all specific. You can only get it one place, yeah. And I loved that podcasting was a like kind of truly democratic because it's mm-hmm. all free. It's, it's all anyone can make it, but now that's not the case anymore. That being said, Spotify, if you're looking to buy some content, we will sell out real quick. 100%. <laughs> we will be totally yours. We love you over to Podcast Network, but if Spotify comes... We go where the money goes. We go. <laughs> <laughs> and that being said, Spotify, the price starts at $1 million. Each. Episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was going to settle for my own million dollars, but you're right. million an episode. Yep, that's what it'll take. Aim high. (laughs) (laughs) So, Indy, what is your spooky thing of the week? So, I did what I often do, went to the old DVD cabinet, picked out a few spooky movies that I already love and own, Mm -hmm. and thought, which one do I want to rewatch and talk about today? And I also wanted to get something that 
many people could watch. Yes, that so is, we try I to do that. Found something that is also on Netflix, and that is the 2015, I guess maybe psychological horror mm-hmm. called The Witch. Oh. Often spelled with two V's rather than a W. Oh. Because uh, this movie takes place in the 1630s, and the W, not common practice yet. Really? Yeah, they would use two V's. Interesting. Really, W should be called double V. Yeah. Because then they formed them together to make... Yeah, the alphabet was different. Because remember, there was that FS type thing? Yes, yeah. And then, like, in old-timey buildings and stuff, sometimes there's letters that are used differently. Yeah, like we have the ye old. We love to say that. They don't pronounce it like that. It was no. still pronounced with a TH. Yeah. The old. Um, but anyways, so in 2015, I went and saw The Witch in theaters. And there were maybe four people in the theater. <laughs> and this wasn't a small art house theater. It was a big one. And when I came out, the staff said like, oh, terrible, huh? And I was like, wait, no. And they said, oh, usually everyone who comes out of this movie comes and demands their money back. And I was like, wait, this movie? Because this was pretty great. And they went on to say how much they hated it. And it is a very hated movie. So on Rotten Tomatoes, it has about a 50% audience score and a 90% critic score, which is a huge discrepancy. I don't know that I know of a movie that has that. Yeah. So I asked people, why do you hate this movie? And the most common answer I got was, Oh, their accents. I couldn't understand them a lot. <laughs> and I'm just going to dismiss that because that's, I don't think that's a legitimate reason to not like a movie. I guess no. if you can't understand what's going on, that's difficult. But uh, you can watch it on Netflix and use the subtitles, I guess. Yeah, if you can't there's understand lots of it. ways to get around that. Also, I didn't find it difficult to understand at all, but that maybe that's just me. And then the other thing is that people said it's slow and this is not horror. Hmm. I guess there are parts where the movie is slow moving. It, it has a 90 minute runtime though. So it's not like a long, it prolonged experience. Slow. And I feel like when people say like, oh, it's not really horror. I think I'll, like with anything, people who are, a lot of people who are horror nerds mm-hmm. have very specific ideas of this is and this isn't. But really like film genres are unnecessary. If it's a good movie, it's a good movie. It what you classify it as shouldn't make it good or bad. So maybe if you don't even think of about it as a horror, then you'll like it more. Mm. I think it definitely is a horror movie because it's spooky and scary things happen. Horrifying things happen. Therefore, it is a horror. If you determine genres of movie being how close it is to Saw or Annabelle, because that's what you're most exposed to. Right. Yeah, it's not a horror movie like those. It doesn't have a lot of jump scares. It doesn't have uh, nearly as many haunted dolls as movies these days should have. Right. But I think it's uh, it's very scary. And I remember the kind of dialogue around the movie, at least on my end, was kind of like, see, this is why we can't have nice things. Mm -hmm. Someone puts so much work and effort into thinking out every, every little element of this movie. And then people are just like, oh, no, nothing jumped out at me. So it's a bad movie now. Yeah, I wasn't scared. I was saying before that, that I think it is a fair criticism if you don't understand something. And I think that we shouldn't go about thinking like, oh, this movie's too smart for you. Right. That's why you don't get it. Right. I think that makes us 
seem like like snobs, really. Oh, for sure. But on the other hand, when people talk about movies like this, I feel like maybe it is fair to criticize a movie if it's inaccessible. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's fair to criticize a movie for just not being what you want. Right. Just because you came to see Saw 7 and then you got this period piece that's really atmospheric Mm -hmm. i don't feel that's a valid criticism right but if you find that it is so inaccessible and kind of arcane that could be a valid criticism okay i don't think this gets into that but this movie is kind of um free of jump scares but more one of those slow burn or those movies that the horror just kind of burrows and it gets under your skin or or to your skeleton as i now like to say it scares you right to your skeleton oh wow that's deep it's a kind of like the movie we watched last week with the orphanage perhaps slower though and i don't think the orphanage is a a particularly slow movie i think the pacing is very good in that but in this movie the dread builds at an even slower pace, perhaps. Oh, wow. And I think it's this movie is full of uneasiness. Mm-hmm. And it, that's that kind of dread that leads to the real horror. Right. Okay. So this was written and directed by Robert Eggers, who is the writer and director of The Lighthouse, which we did on this right. podcast. Yeah. Which you had... Uh, Mixed feelings, should we say? Mixed feelings. I don't think I really enjoyed it that much. You kind of disliked it, but you appreciate some parts of it. Yes. So I can see how it is very critically good um, and it's very well done for what it is. I didn't enjoy watching it. (laughs) Right. But I can see why you would. For you, perhaps it was more about the discussion and the learning than the actual enjoyment of the film. Yeah, exactly. So this is not nearly as kind of a out there or as art house as the lighthouse was, but it still has a lot of those same elements, like that attention to detail, because this movie takes place in the 1630s mm-hmm. and the costumes were made in the same way. They don't just look like it. They made all of it. Oh, see, I love when when they do that when costume designers do that and they sew things by hand and like with the kind of thread that they would actually use yeah and the set every roof is thatched properly in the technique of the 1630s oh i love that they made a working farm only using the implements that they had available in the 1630s The language is uh, very precise to that time period as well. Most of it was taken directly from period sources, from (laughs) letters and things like that. So it is very authentic. But what's interesting about this movie, usually you can't tell. Mm -hmm. Because if you're getting a specialist who knows how roofs were thatched in the 1600s, but you never show that roof, Mm-hmm. Is it really necessary? Yeah, that's that that could be a corner you could cut. But I think when you're paying that much attention to detail, you're probably paying a lot of attention to every other mm-hmm. detail as well. It's kind of like a the thing about writers for like rock musicians, right? There's always the the joke about how your writer is what you get guaranteed in your backstage for right. your concert. Right. So I can't remember who it was that said uh, the bowl of M&Ms, but no brown M&Ms. Mm-hmm. And people look at all these complex writers saying that, oh, that's just um, egomaniacs mm-hmm. doing what they want. 
But when you talk to musicians who do it, they're saying that we put those very specific things in because that shows us the attention to detail at that venue. Right. If they're going to take out all the brown M&Ms, I believe my py- pyrotechnics are going to go off and not set me on fire. Fair. All of my sound is going to yeah. be great. They're going to have uh, that attention to detail. Right. So maybe that's kind of the same way we could look at this. <laughs> I didn't know that about musicians. Yeah. I I definitely knew that it was like a like a test of some sort but it definitely didn't realize that it was for like like safety and how much you can rely on the venue Mm -hmm. so this takes place in new england in the 1630s about and in the first two minutes it gets set up that there is this family of course they're part of the a puritan colony that has left england and they are now being exiled from their colony because they are kind of too pure for the puritans Mm -hmm. they're too strict in their religious doctrine even for a colony of puritans oh wow so this family is exiled and it's kind of like they're they're double exiled right because they've left england for religious persecution now they're leaving this colony as well and it just emphasizes this idea of isolation of this family who is in the wilderness now and they are going to try to make a life for themselves and they live on the limit of a um, of a forest. So there's a forest just that they can see, and they're living in a clearing trying to farm. And that's like classic fairy tale allegory stuff, that there's this forest, and that always represents mm-hmm. the unknown, the dangers of the new world, all sorts of different things yes. like that. And that's why all of those fairy tales, there's something in the forest. There's a witch of the woods. Right. And that is definitely what this movie takes takes off of. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, the movie, the full title is called The Witch, A New England Folktale. So they're really leaning into that not fairy tale because this movie isn't so much a parable, but rather the opposite of a parable which i won't explain because (laughs) i don't want to give away right i'm going to talk around this movie a lot i think one thing that makes it super scary is at this time these puritans like try to put yourself in their mindset that they believe in a literal devil Hmm. isn't that scary when you think that is about scary it? yeah because i'm i'm very far removed from that i don't believe in like literal hells or anything yeah. like that but they did and there are parts in this movie where we think i'm not going to give anything away maybe somebody is dead and the fear isn't just about that this person is dead the fear is they're in hell now hmm And that's so terrifying for them because they're like, oh, this loved one of mine is now experiencing eternal damnation. And when you, if you really believe in it, like these people did, that's so scary. That is super scary. Yeah. But that's why the preacher or like the uh, minister was such a powerful figure in town because they held the keys to everyone's salvation and then they manipulated it in most towns to kind of become the most powerful man yeah and this movie actually works as kind of um like a prequel to things like the crucible because this is before the witch trials but it's kind of the seeds of the fear that Mm. would lead to the witch trials right actually now that i say that that's exactly what this movie is (laughs) okay (laughs) (laughs) and at the beginning of this movie the fear is very literal like a lot of horror movies, you're like, is this real? Is this a metaphor? It starts you off like, no, it's real. Here it is. And then as things go on, you're like, is it? 
it's the opposite of a lot of other movies where mm. you're like, wait, what's real? And then at the end, you're like, oh, yeah, there's the ghost. Cool. So it's real. <laughs> yeah. This kind of um, starts you off at a place where you know exactly what's going on. And the more it goes on, the more you question yourself and the movie. Ooh, yeah. Which is a is a nice inversion that you don't see yeah. very often. Oh, I like that, though. Uh, the score in this movie, I think, is fantastic. It could be very hated by others. Mm-hmm. It's mostly strings and, like, a chorus of moans or shrieks. Ooh. So there's elements of that in um, in The Shining or in The Omen. And when it's done well, it is very unsettling and frightening. And I think it is done well here. Mm, I love that when uh, the soundtrack is kind of unnoticeable but really helps for the uh for like the feel of the movie yeah me too i will say though um that's probably not the case here this is a noticeable soundtrack okay sounds good i just know that like um like i keep referencing the movie we watched last but that soundtrack the orphanage the orphanage like the sounds of the house and the sounds of skittering and everything really do a good job of like keeping you on edge the entire time there is some of that too, but when the score, the actual like uh, non-diegetic music comes in, mm-hmm. it is apparent. Okay. It's not it's not subtle. Hmm. It's effective. I don't I wouldn't say it's subtle though. It also has great cinematography because uh again, someone who pays this much attention to detail, <laughs> they're going to set up all of their shots very specifically. Yes, absolutely. Don't expect any um Blair Witch shaky cam in here. This is It reminds me of The Shining in a lot of ways because they're clearly classic formalists Mm -hmm. in how they set up things. It's not avant-garde in the way the shots are composed or the way the film is made. Right. They are employing things to a different end, perhaps, and the storytelling may be very new and innovative, but they are... Kubrick and Eggers are definitely formalists. Right. They know the language of film and they're not breaking new ground in that respect, but rather through the storytelling and themes. Hmm. Okay. A lot of shots in this are directly from paintings of the 1600s. If you are an art historian, you'll probably be like, oh, yeah, I get that one. Mm, And I don't want to say the painter because that gives away a lot of the ending. Oh, okay. Because if you go like, oh, yeah, if that's the painter you're mimicking, I know what's going to happen. But Mm. the ending... I think very cool. A lot of people don't like it, but a lot of people don't like this movie. So I'll just leave it at that. It also deals a lot with religious fervor and religious hypocrisy. And Mm -hmm. of of course, something of this time period kind of has to tackle that on. And so many movies that have witches in them are very anti-woman, right? Yeah. Because the very nature of what we think a witch is, is just kind of... In this time period, you are either a chaste, like, saintly woman who yeah. uh, takes care of her Virtue father or, or yeah. husband. Yeah. That's your one option. Your other option is witch. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of middle ground. No. And uh, this movie, I think, can be read on a very strong feminist level. And I think it's there's a lot of stuff that is a clear reaction to these binary patriarchal systems. Mm. You don't have to look into all of that. I think it's quite apparent to me. But uh, again, like in any good movie, the audience will see in this movie what they want to see and they'll believe what they want to believe. It is definitely one of those ones that is 
maybe not open for interpretation as to what happens. Mm -hmm. I think there are concrete answers to what happens in this movie. Right. But as to what that means, there, I think you, there's a lot of leeway. Oh, okay, cool. So it lets you kind of decide. Yeah. I don't think it's a movie where you're like, wait, what happened? I don't understand the physical elements of the story. Yeah. I don't think it's one of those. But the meaning behind all of this, I think, is more open. I think it's pretty clear. But then again, I feel like that a lot. And I could be way, way off. I do occasionally watch a movie with you. And I'm like, I don't get it. <laughs> and then I have to go do some reading. <laughs> so I watched this thinking that it'll be never... It'll never be one we do on this podcast because I thought, based on The Lighthouse, it was a fun episode. You, I don't think you like it. So I was going to stay away from this. But this is much more accessible than The Lighthouse, I'd say. And I know you have a lot of interest in uh, this era mm -hmm, and uh, witch trials and things like that. So I think you might actually like it. So maybe we will do it at one point. I'm going to have to put it on my like Netflix playlist because I feel like I should be watching spookier things right now because... Because it's Spooktober. It is Spooktober. So maybe that'll be one of my um, like lunchtime watches or something. I would say don't make it a lunchtime no? watch. No? If you're going to watch a movie like this that puts so much work into atmosphere building, mm. sit down, put it on a good screen, not on your phone, uh, turn off the lights. It's only an hour and a half. Sit down, watch it, give it a chance. Because it really relies on this atmosphere building. Mm. And I think when you're watching it over a couple of lunch hours, so much of that is lost. Right. I'm also someone who won't watch movies in less than ideal circumstances. True. I like to yeah. I like to give the due attention to a good movie where so much time and effort is put mm -hmm. into it. If it's rush hour three, maybe I'll watch that over a few lunch breaks. <laughs> That's fair. That's why I I definitely have like genres of shows that I'll be like, okay, that's a yeah. lunch watch. And that's not even a slam on no. Rush Hour 3. I uh, actually really like Jackie Chan performances and yeah. I think he's very enjoyable. Um, but yeah, The Witch, sometimes spelled with two Vs instead of the W, is available on Netflix or at your local library, whatever like that. And... Eggers went on to do The Lighthouse after this. This was his debut. And when this came out, I was like, I can't wait to see what this guy is going to do next. Around this time, actually, there was a lot of horror films that came out where I'm very excited to see what the director would do next. There, I think there is a kind of a, a resurgence into some good quality horror because I think the same year was The Babadook and It Follows. Hmm. So some really interesting stuff. And now I hear Eggers is doing a Nosferatu remake. And Nosferatu, the original, was one of my favorite movies. The Herzog-Klaus Kinski remake from like 79, I think is also brilliant. So now Ooh. to see a new version is going to be interesting. And I think he's having some of the same actors from The Witch be in this one as well. Interesting. Okay. So go check out The Witch. Okay, well, I will make sure it's dark and spooky when I watch it. Well, that brings us to our second sponsor of the podcast. Uh, our sponsor is Rumi by Atco. If you've been listening for a few episodes in a row, you'll know that Indy and I just recently bought a house. And we've used Rumi a few times to get quotes from contractors. They have an Ask a Home Inspector service where you can speak to a home inspector without having to completely hire them and get some advice on how to best proceed. 
Um, whether it's a plumbing issue, an electrical issue, or if you're trying to just fix it yourself, the Ask a Home Inspector program can kind of point you in the right direction for your project. Indy and I were lucky to find a very great home inspector through Rumi um, who walked us through and who also offered us his services after we move in. So we have great access to someone who really knows our house and has kind of crawled around every inch of it. So if you need a home inspector or a painter or just want to ask about your do-yourself project, you can visit rumi.ca, that's R-U-M-I dot C-A, and let Rumi's trusted local experts take care of your home. Did the home inspector find any ghosts when they were inspecting? I think that might be a separate service. Okay. Yeah. So Rumi, yeah, that's a good clarification, does not provide ghost-busting services yet. Yet. I'm sure it's coming. It's a fairly new program. We'll send an email in and say, hey, could you get some ghost services on your menu, please? Well, Samantha, what are we going to be watching for our next movie, I'm very excited because last year you couldn't think of a spooky movie that I hadn't seen. So we did a classic, mm-hmm. something we both uh, were fans of in yes. The Exorcist, which is a good episode. Go check that out. That is a very good episode. But it is something original that I have not seen this year, right? Yes. Yeah. So um, I really took the theme of our podcast to heart and picked a movie that I saw in the early 2000s. Uh, It came out in 1998 and is based on a novel of the same name. It is Practical Magic. All right. I know pretty much nothing about this. I know uh, Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman. Yes. I think it is lighter than like a straight horror movie it is it's more of a romantic comedy fantasy film okay um but it has some of those great kind of scary movie things like possession and magic and curses like a funny possession no okay no um but there's like some of those classic scary movie things so it's a romantic comedy but then has like a scary possession in it yes that's a that's an interesting blend. It's, okay, it's uh something I haven't seen probably since like two thousand or two thousand one, um. So I don't know if it still stands up. So what were your feelings on the movie then? Um, I really enjoyed it. I think I watched it when I was like a young teen. And I think there's, like, a phase that lots of girls go through where they, like, want to learn about witches and, like, the occult and everything. Very true. So I was heavily into that phase, I think, when I saw this movie, and I thought it was so cool. So this was in the early 2000s, so you are kind of, like, charmed big at that time. Yeah, but I never saw Charmed. And Buffy was getting into some witch stuff. yeah. The idea of female empowerment through which characters Mm -hmm. was kind of at the forefront. Yes. Not nearly as much now. Maybe in The Witch. Hint, hint. Mm. But, okay, so it was something of that time that was was common. 100%. Something that I don't remember being common was a blend of romantic comedy and horror elements. So that's interesting. It it definitely was one of the first movies I'd watched that had kind of a scarier element to it. But this was a nice kind of ease in for me, I think, because I also really enjoyed romantic comedies back then too. At the time, would you say this is a scary movie? 
No. Are parts of it actually scary or is it kind of like a play on and a joke about scary things? I don't remember. I I think I'm having a hard time answering that question just because I think I was young and hadn't really seen anything like it. So if I did think it was scary, it might have just been because it was like really unknown to me. Right. Because at this point, you probably hadn't seen many actual scary movies. No, I think I had seen The Exorcist at this point and that was it. So that was like my frame of reference of scary movies. That's a good frame because that's a scary movie. But you're going to say this is less scary. Yes. Okay. Yeah. What's the plot of this movie? So it centers around um, sisters, um, Sally and Jillian Owens, who have always known that they were different from other people and that they're witches. They're raised by their aunts after their parents die, and they grow up in a household that was not normal, and uh, they grew up in a very happy, kind of magic-filled home. Is one of them... A free spirit and one of them's like buttoned down. Yeah. Is this Sabrina the Teenage Witch, the good TV show? <laughs> um, no, I, I'm now making that connection and I think that's really funny. Um, Is there a talking cat? No. Please. Oh. I'm sorry. Unless am, there is and I don't remember it, but I I am a so. very big fan of pretty much all media that employs talking cats. I know you are. Uh, so the Owens family carries a curse. Oh. Uh, the men they fall in love with are doomed to an untimely death. And now adult women with very different personalities, the quiet salary, the quiet Sally and the fiery Jillian must use all of their powers to fight the family curse and a swarm of supernatural forces that could take away all of their lives. All right. So one's a Hilda, one's a Zelda. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I remember really liking this. Um, I think this might have been like Sandra Bullock's heyday too. So yeah, yeah. I think I had already seen things that Sandra Bullock was in and I really liked her. So I was excited to see this. And I think this kind of brought Nicole Kidman into my life as well. Okay. So I, um, I think that they're really good on screen together. They do a really good job of being these characters. They're both super talented. I know when I was in junior high, I was, I had a crush on Sandra Bullock for Mm -hmm. sure. I actually really disliked Nicole Kidman. Really? And I'm not sure why, because then as I got older and I watched her, I was like, she's incredibly Mm -hmm. talented. When I got into like some of her lesser known stuff like Birth or or more known like Academy Award Mm -hmm. nominated stuff like The Hours. Oh, she's very talented. She's great. Yeah. But there was something about her I didn't like for a long Hmm. time. Interesting. She wasn't Sandra Bullock? Yeah, maybe. (laughs) But who is? (laughs) Who is? (laughs) Um, so I definitely like this kind of lighthearted magic kind of feel that they give in the synopsis. So I'm excited to watch it again to see if it is how I remember it. I'm very excited for that too, because I do like movies that are light, but magical. Mm -hmm. Like one of the worst movies ever, but I still love it is Simply Irresistible with Sarah Michelle Gellar. Where she is a chef and her, maybe her mom comes back to life as a crab and then they make (laughs) magic food. Yeah. And it causes people to fight or fall in love and sometimes they fly. It's it's so bad, but I recommend everyone go watch Simply Irresistible. I forgot about that movie. We can do that on this show. I'd love to. I have a lot of thoughts about that one. I don't doubt it. (laughs) (laughs) so i don't want to give any more away also i am avoiding reading a synopsis of the plot other than what i just read you um so i think 
the only other thing to do is uh, watch it. Would you like to watch a trailer for this one or do you want to keep it very surprised? I want to keep it very surprised because I feel like it's going to bring back memories of watching this if I watch a trailer. Okay. Yeah. Do you have predictions going in what you think you're going to feel now many years later rewatching Practical Magic? I don't know. I'm worried that it's not going to live up to how I remember it. And you remember loving it. I remember loving it. Yeah. So I... I don't know. I don't want to make any predictions, but I think I have a sneaking suspicion that it's not quite as good as I remember. (laughs) (laughs) What about you? What do you think? I don't know. I think if it is a light, fun, here's um, like magical characters in the modern world, I think I could like that. I probably won't be in love with it, but I think like, oh, that's a fun movie. But when you were saying that there is some kind of more straightforward horror elements. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to see how they combine the two because when you get two weird or like mismatched genres mm-hmm. and you mash them together, I can really like that. Yeah. Like um like Shaun of the Dead, that's what it is. It's right. it's a romantic get your girl back movie yeah. that just happens to take place during a a zombie apocalypse. Mhm. Yeah. And I love those two dissonant elements being mashed together because Mm -hmm. I think it's uh, quite expertly done there. For sure. I have no context for this movie, but it's also taking two disparate things, putting them together, and that can make for a great and fun movie. So I'm hoping it's that. Mm -hmm. Me too. But the fact that I know (laughs) nothing about it, sometimes I'm hoping it's a pleasant surprise and not like a, oh, well, I know why no one talks about this movie. (laughs) Yeah, um, I'm I'm nervous <laughs> again, like I am with anything that I used to love when I was younger. Do you know people that like this movie? Is it still kind of talked about and known? Well, Wikipedia seems to think it's considered a cult classic. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I think there is that bodes well. Yeah, I think that there is a faction of people who really love this movie still, hmm. and it's like still readily available. Okay, so I think. Maybe it is still, like, really well-loved. It's also interesting that I assume, based on the people in it, that this is a, a big-budget, big-studio movie. It is. And to get this kind of plot into a big-studio movie, like, this is something that's horror-romantic comedy. I, I love that kind of thing, but usually it is smaller, more independent productions that kind of do that so it's interesting that this was in a time where you could just make that kind of movie i guess i'll have to see it but Mm -hmm. from the description it sounds like a movie that would not be easy to get made today yeah i think so uh it costs 75 million dollars to make it is 75 million yeah it's better look amazing (laughs) um it didn't quite make its money back in the box office oh um but it's 79 million in 98 yeah Oh, this is a big budget. This is a big budget movie, yeah. For a romantic comedy. Yeah. Where'd all the money go? Uh I'm going to be curious to see that. Yeah, I think so. Um, It also has Diane West, Diane Weist. Diane Weist. Weist. I I like Diane Weist. And Stockard Channing in it. Okay. Yeah, so it's got a big cast. Are they the two ants of the two main characters? Yeah, Uh, so they play the ants. I'm already into this cast. This whole family. Like, I remember thinking that they all went together really well. Oh, and then, so we have those four. Yeah. I'm sure we have probably two male leads, one who is like a nice upstanding guy and one who's kind of a rebel. 
Yes. So is that part right? Yes. Is it? I believe so. <laughs> um. So I don't want to like spoil any more of what. Sure. Like who else is in it? And... Oh, just don't even say the names. No, I don't want to. Oh, is I, it people that everyone knows? No, they're people that you're going to guess immediately and be like, oh, that's that guy. Well, I'm going to see them on screen and know that too. No, though. but I want you to do it while we're watching the movie. Okay. <laughs> um, It's also got Evan Rachel Wood in it. I don't remember who that is, but I know that. <laughs> she was married to Marilyn Manson. She was in Westworld. She's the robot, robot lady in Westworld. Aren't they all robot ladies? No, but like the one that goes on the journey with him. In the blue dress, clearly very memorable. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna watch that. It is unfortunately it is available on Amazon Prime Video with a premium subscription. So I believe you need the Stars subscription to get that. But you can rent it from YouTube, Google Play, Apple TV, or you can check your local library. It is currently on order at the Edmonton Public Library, so hopefully by the time this episode comes out, you'll be able to get it. Excellent. Okay, so I'm excited to watch this. Are you? I am. Okay. I'm, I'm very curious and excited because it seems like it's going to be a light, easy watch, but it also seems like it's going to be not typical. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah. Oh, I believe it's also available on Crave. So if you oh, Crave. Unfortunately, we don't. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so let's meet back here next Monday uh, when we have watched Practical Magic and we'll find out what Indy thinks about it. It'll be both practical and magical. Oh, so magical. Everything's magical with you, though. Everything's practical with you. <laughs> that's not the truth <laughs> no, at all. That's I'm, the you're other not way. the practical. <laughs> magical. Magical. Everything's practically magical with you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we'll see you next week. Don't get spooked. No, I'm going to get spooked. It's more fun. Okay. Get real spooked. Get spooked, everyone. Okay, bye. Go spook yourself. (laughs) 